This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to conception, pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. We raise the volume on these topics in hopes that someday everyone will have the support and information that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Hi, Mom and Mind listeners. Maternal Mental Health Month is coming up in May, and we have a project here that we'd love to include you in. We would love to hear your voice. And more specifically, we would love to hear what you have to say about healing messages for parents, for new moms, things you wish you would have known, messages of hope and healing and recovery, or any other kind of inspiring or hopeful message that we can shout out to the world during the month of May. So how you can do this is I have a Google form that I will include in the show notes and you click on that form, leave me some basics of your information, your name, your email, and let me know if you'd like to just drop a couple of written lines that I can include somewhere in a blog post or on the website, or if you'd like to leave me a voice message to actually have your voice heard on the podcast. Anywhere from 30 to 90 seconds would be perfect. So I'm gonna put the link to this Google form for you to click on and fill out. I'm not collecting emails for newsletters, subscriptions, or anything like that. The only reason I need your email and name is so I can let you know when it's available and when the episode is gonna be published. Also, you can be anonymous. Your name doesn't need to be stated on the podcast or in any written information you send to me, but we would love, love, love to hear from you. So I'm gonna be leaving this open for contributions until April 16th, which doesn't give you a whole lot of time. So please share this with people who you think would like to contribute. Please send me a message by clicking on that form first and filling it out, and then I'll give you information on how to leave me a message. And we'll use that audio clip in our upcoming podcast for the month of May. The more that we can all raise our voices together, the more likely that moms won't have to suffer in silence or suffer alone. Thank you in advance for your contribution. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Today's episode is one of those that I think just should be shared so widely. Of course, all of our episodes are absolutely important and necessary. But the reason why I think today's episode is so important is because we're going to be talking about some of the underlying mechanics of what happens with stress and how it affects moms. And this is the kind of information that we just don't get every day. 
And part of what I think is so fantastic about getting these kinds of descriptions about what's happening for us biologically, chemically, hormonally, however you'd like to say it, is that once we understand that there's some other mechanism at play in our bodies, we can blame ourselves less. It's less of a what's wrong with me and more of a, oh my gosh, all of these things are happening in my body and that's part of why I feel the way I feel. Today we're talking with Dr. Kathleen Kendall-Tackett who's a health psychologist and international board-certified lactation consultant and the owner and editor-in-chief of Proclaris Press, a small press specializing in women's health. She's the editor-in-chief of two peer-reviewed journals, Clinical Lactation and Psychological Trauma. She's a fellow of the American Psychological Association in Health and Trauma Psychology, past president of the APA Division of Trauma Psychology, and a member of the APA's Board for the Advancement of Psychology in Public Interest. She specializes in women's health research, including breastfeeding, depression, trauma, and health psychology, and has won many awards for her work, including the 2017 President's Award for Outstanding Service to the Field of Trauma Psychology from the American Psychological Association Division of Trauma Psychology. She has authored more than 420 articles or chapters and is the author or editor of 35 books. Her most recent books include Depression in New Mothers, Women's Mental Health Across the Lifespan, The Phantom of the Opera, A Social History of the World's Most Popular Musical, Psychology of Trauma 101, and The Science of Mother-Infant Sleep. Kathy is going to share so much information with us today that is worthy of taking notes if you can or listening a couple of times, and some really important takeaways about how we can help ourselves reduce our stress and therefore reduce our inflammation. So we're going to be talking about depression and breastfeeding, our stress response, our inflammation response, and how those things interplay when a mother is dealing with depression or anxiety or high stress. So let's meet Kathy. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you. I feel like you are just a massive, beautiful brain and (laughs) have so much information and have done so much important work in this field. And I'm really excited to understand a little bit more about one of the things you know quite a bit about today. But first, I'd like for you to, to tell us a little bit about what the work you're doing right now. Well, I've got a couple different projects going on. One of the things that my colleague, Kirsten Uvnis moberg and I are kind of working on is trying to kind of understand the relationship between depression and breastfeeding. Mm. Uh, and so what's kind of interesting about that is it's like, it seems like the data, like when you look at other studies, appear kind of contradictory, but they're really actually not if you kind of understand the underlying framework. And mm. what we kind of look at is that sort of link between the oxytocin response and the the inflammatory and stress response system, you know, and both of those systems are kind of governed in one specific part of the brain called the paraventricular nucleus of hypothalamus. Okay. So it's just this little slice of a little tiny part in the brain. And so it's just a tiny little thing, but it actually governs which one of those two systems is going to be sort of upregulated. And when one is up, the other is down. Hmm. And so when you talk about things like, why does it look like if you're depressed that breastfeeding is more likely to fail or you're more likely to stop earlier? Part of it is because when you're depressed, that stress system is the thing that's upregulated and really what you need is oxytocin upregulated. 
you know, like I said, the trick is not just just say, oh, gee, well, that's too bad, but to think, okay, how can we upregulate that oxytocin system? Because that's going to be the thing that's going to help get that sort of mom over the hump. So we're looking at that sort of link and we're looking at it also with talking about birth interventions. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, when you, for example, you know, are in labor, if labor is progressing normally, you know, it's painful, but there's also pressure on the cervix, which releases oxytocin, which actually helps the mom sort of cope with it. But if you add something like, say, synthetic oxytocin to that system, suddenly you activate the stress system instead. Mm. And it starts wow. doing it. If you take an epidural, what you do is you basically cut, you know, the sort of pain sensation, but you also cut that oxytocin sensation. You know, and one of the things we found in our study when we looked at 6,410 moms is that women who had epidurals tended to have higher depressive symptoms in that first year postpartum. Wow. You know, even after we controlled for a bunch of other stuff. Right. You know, we controlled for their history of depression, their history of sexual assault, you know, their current anxiety, their current levels of anger and irritability, you know, whether they were prime-ups or mold. I mean, we just controlled for, you know, and we controlled for all the other birth interventions and we still found that. So that's so powerful. Oh my gosh. It, it really is. And it's like, it's not to say don't do an epidural. Right. It's to say don't pretend like there's no consequence because, okay. you know, you're messing with the central nervous system. How could there not be? Hey there. I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. You know, and it's the same thing with using something like Pitocin. You know, mm -hmm. there was this, in some ways, kind of a silly paper. I mean, I say silly in terms of the hypothesis was kind of silly. They had this idea that this big population data from Massachusetts, so they had a lot of mothers. And they had this idea that if you gave mothers synthetic oxytocin, in other words, Pitocin, mm -hmm. uh, during labor, since that's oxytocin, and oxytocin is the happy hormone, mm -hmm. that these mothers would have less depression and anxiety. And what they found was absolutely the opposite. That wow. the mother had Pitocin had more depression and more anxiety, you know, and the reason I say it was kind of silly is because first of all, Pitocin doesn't affect the central nervous system. It's a peripheral when you give it, you know, sort of externally like that. It's not the same as your own generated oxytocin. 
Mm-hmm. So it doesn't actually, you know, help you be happier. And in fact, it probably is triggering the stress response because it makes labor more difficult. Now, again, like I said, medically, there's times when that's absolutely the appropriate thing to do. Right. But it's kind of like, I couldn't believe the hypothesis. I thought, mm-hmm. wow, <laughs> the right. data actually were consistent with what I would expect. So I feel like this is fundamental to making sure we're taking care of moms the right way is to know this. Because what it sounds like you're also saying is that there's this unchecked assumption that these interventions are not going to impact the mom in any negative way. But what you're saying is that the evidence, the research shows otherwise and pretty strongly otherwise. Well, and again, you know, I had somebody one time, you know, we wrote up that article with looking at the birth interventions uh, for clinical lactation. I think it came out in 2015. And, you know, at a conference that I was at, now I didn't actually hear this, but I heard from a bunch of people who were there because I was actually actually in the exhibit hall. So I wasn't actually in the session, but an anesthesiologist just took us to task on that. Hmm. Oh, they didn't like the study and they didn't think it was well done. And I mean, we were really careful and we were careful with what we said. We just said, look, here's an association. We see higher depressive symptoms in these moms who said that they'd had an epidural, you know, and here's all the things we controlled for. Mm-hmm. And you still found it. And he said, oh, and, you know, he didn't like the study and da, 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 da. And he says, I use them all the time and they are fine. <laughs> it's like, what the heck does that mean? Right. But well, you know, I mean, that's... has he even seen those mothers again? I mean, honestly, exactly. You know, right. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, that is exactly what we're saying is it's like, I think that there's really a lot of things that we're doing with birth that really kind of can make things more difficult for moms. And, you know, again, there's oftentimes places where these are absolutely medically indicated. Absolutely. But we need to also be watching those moms and make sure that they're not kind of sinking into depression. The other thing that we found that was really interesting was planned C-sections, that those moms had the highest depressive symptoms. Wow. For the same reasons, because of these interventions? It actually, it has to do with, they didn't get the oxytocin Mm. uh, because of the trial of labor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's like our moms who had unplanned but non-emergency sections actually had pretty low rates of Mm -hmm. depressive symptoms. If they had an emergency, now that of course is a whole different thing because that's frightening and that she can even trigger, you know, PTSD. And, but we found that the moms with the plan C-section, because, you know, the trial of labor, when that happens, you know, you're getting that head pressing on the cervix mm-hmm. and that is releasing oxytocin. Mm. Wow. This is why I wanted to pick your brain. And actually, I feel like you should have your very own podcast talking about all <laughs> <of> this stuff. <laughs> it's, this is, from my perspective, from like a kind of a therapy, the moms that I see perspective, if everybody knew this they'd be less likely to blame themselves for why they feel the way they feel. They'd be more able to combat this kind of ongoing pressure from society that you're supposed to be happy. And if you're not, then it's because something's wrong with you. They would be Mm. able to understand that there are these other systems that are impacting them. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it can be as basic as, you know, just total lack of support for new mothers. Our our new mothers are sort of cast out of the hospital and sort of have to fend for themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, and you've got a lot of moms who struggle with breastfeeding. It kills me to actually read some of the stories on Facebook because I'm thinking if you had somebody good in there helping you with this, you know, you wouldn't be struggling this way, you know, and it's like, I feel that's a system failure. That's not a mom failure. Mm -hmm. That's a system failure. You know, we're not listening, you know, and if mothers are saying, you know, I'm in pain. My baby feels like he's on all the time. I'm exhausted. Of course, they're going to feel that's going to set them up for depression. Of course, right. it is. Of 
course it is. And it's like, so, you know, there's that factor. And then there's also what's going on in birth. I mean, the high rates of post-traumatic stress disorder that we have that are directly related to birth are really frightening. Yeah. You know, I think we really do need to have a serious rethink about how we're treating our moms in labor. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It happens so often, way too often. And, you know, and again, moms, a lot of times they blame themselves for that. Oh, I should have, I should have checked it out. I should have known. I should have found, you know, I'm sorry, but moms are probably the people with the least power in that situation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I was just having this conversation with one of the moms in my office is that, you know, looking back on her situation, she feels that she should have known certain things. And I'm like, how in the world would you have known what takes somebody else full education to understand? Exactly. But we keep putting the pressure back on the moms. Well, and I think sometimes too, and this is one thing that I have to honestly admit, it torques me sometimes when I go to conferences because people say, well, yeah, don't you just feel like these moms have unrealistic expectations? And it's kind of like, you know, I'm sorry, do not blame the mother for this. Yeah. You know, you're doing a lot of stuff wrong. You know, you're making her feel like, you know, she's being disrespected and Mm -hmm. that she's scared and that you're actually in some cases brutalizing her and it's like her expectations are way down the list in terms of things that might be contributing to her negative response Mm -hmm. oh preach yeah (laughs) that's yes absolutely and the more we can get that message out to moms and providers that this is a system issue and there's so many factors that go into why a mom isn't feeling well and let maybe let's not just blame her absolutely Oh. <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. So that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And is that the work that research that you're doing right now, is that completed? Is that paper out? We're actually working on one of the articles now. We're actually going to do a podcast on May 15th, talking about that sort of toggle effect. But yeah, we're in the process of kind of writing that up now. There's been bits and pieces we've been writing. Mm-hmm. We wrote a review of that article that I told you about with the Pitocin and where we kind of talked about some of this. But some of it, honestly, for the two of us has been kind of a, an ongoing sort of collaboration. It's like, well, gee, what do you think about this? And, you know, mm-hmm. trying to kind of, again, piece together what seem to be these sort of paradoxical findings Mm -hmm. and trying to kind of understand kind of, you know, like what's the underlying mechanism for that? Because she comes at it from the oxytocin response and I come at it from the stress response. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I realized actually a while ago, I said, you know, I think we're talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. We're just talking about sort of the flip side of the same process. Right. You did mention the stress response and your interest in research in that. And that's part of what I really want to understand today and at least give listeners an understanding of of how the stress response is impacting new mothers. So uh, share, yeah, wherever you'd like to start with that. Oh, sure. Well, I think the thing that's key for people to kind of understand is when you talk about the stress response, you're really kind of talking about three different parts. Mm-hmm. And the stress response is the stress response can get really, really, really complicated very quickly. But there's kind of, if you can understand these sort of three parts, then you can kind of understand how we can actually counter some of these effects. Uh, so the first part, you know, with the stress response is, you know, remember the stress response is designed to protect us. Mm-hmm. It's designed to kind of keep us out of danger and to respond to danger. And so, you know, it can be a physical threat, it can be a psychological threat, but, you know, any of those kinds of things will actually trigger this response. So the first part is called the fight or flight response. Of course, it's word everybody knows about, mm-hmm. you know, the part that'll let, you know, like a mother lift a car off of somebody, right? you know, because she gets almost superhuman strength or to get out of a situation. 
in some cases, the fight or flight response is actually a freeze response. And you see that with animals. You know, that sometimes the safest thing for an animal to do is freeze, not to try to flee. And so, you know, that's the first part. Okay, so we've known about that since the 50s. Mm-hmm. Something we started studying in the 90s was what's called the HPA access. Okay, and that's called, the, it's called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access. So it's kind of a three-part response. Mm-hmm. So it starts with a little structure in the brain called the hypothalamus, which then communicates with the pituitary gland, which then communicates with the cortex of the adrenal gland. Okay, mm-hmm. so where you get this, that's where you get the sort of end state of the stress hormone cortisol. Okay, so we did a lot of research like in the late 90s, early 2000s on looking at the fight or flight and the HPA response. You know, so we talked a lot about norepinephrine and cortisol, you know, going back and forth. Well, then another group of researchers came along and they said, you know, there's one more part to this. And that's the inflammatory response system. And that's the part that's actually really critical to understand in terms of mental health. Mm, In response to threat or danger, our bodies increase inflammation. Now, again, you might think, well, why why in the world would it do that? Why is that part of the stress response? Well, again, thinking it through from our body standpoint, if you believe that you're in danger, you know, Mm -hmm. if your body's making that judgment that you're in danger, Mm -hmm. you know, the inflammatory molecules have a couple of really important functions. They fight infection and they heal wounds. Mm. So if you think you're in danger, it makes sense to get your troops ready. Right. You're injured. Ooh, there's so so many implications with just that. Right. So that's what it does. So that's why you get an inflammatory response in response to sort of threat or danger. Mm -hmm. Now, what they've kind of discovered, they discovered the, the first paper came out about this in 98. They discovered that new mothers who had high depression and anxiety at high levels of those inflammatory molecules in their plasma. Mm. Okay, so that they were actually, and lots of studies have come out since that have said, you know, that there is a link that high inflammation leads to depression. But also, it goes the other way. The depression Uh. causes high inflammation. So it gets into this sort of, you know, feedback where it reinforces it. Mm -hmm. If you're depressed, you're secreting more inflammation, and the high inflammation causes more depression. Right. So I'm kind of linking back to what you were saying before about breastfeeding, that this response would depress breastfeeding also, the ability of the body to produce. It can, because if the stress response is high, what that does is that suppresses oxytocin. Mm -hmm. So oxytocin is actually necessary to have milk ejection. Okay. All right. You can kind of see why. But on the other hand, we know that specifically breastfeeding is a physiological mechanism that actually is one of the things that turns down that stress response. And again, that's very adaptive for mothers. You know, in other words, when we say adaptive, we mean it aids their survival. That, you know, and we see these effects for exclusive breastfeeding. You don't necessarily see them for partial. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why, honestly. I expected that you'd see what we call a dose response effect, that the more breastfeeding, yeah. the bigger the effect. It doesn't seem to be that. It seems to be a threshold effect. So, you know, exclusive breastfeeding seems to be a different physiological mechanism. Okay, that's kind of important to understand because that's some of the confusion when you look at these studies that seem to contradict each other. It's mm-hmm. kind of like what they call in breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. But exclusive breastfeeding does seem to make a physiological difference in terms of basically dialing down that stress response. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So for a mom who's depressed or anxious, um, yes. assuming anxiety is in there too? Anxiety is in there too and it's the same process and same thing with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. As you were talking about this, I was thinking, gosh, this is affecting moms with any kind of trauma, but specifically yeah. birth trauma. You know, really any kind. I do a lot of my work in family violence, you know, and so adverse childhood experiences 
predispose people to high inflammation. Right. So if you're going into this process already at a high stress level and then, you know, something goes awry during pregnancy, birth or postpartum, you're already super vulnerable. Yes. To experience worsening of symptoms. Yes. But here's the thing I think is key to know that if you understand that process, Mm-hmm. what you can do is you can actually target that inflammation mm. because that is going to decrease your vulnerability. So what kinds of things help with inflammation? Well, not being deficient in omega-3 fatty acids helps. Huh. Not being vitamin D deficient. Yes. Helps. Yeah. Yeah. So we know both of those specifically. And the thing that's scary is if we haven't really talked about depression and pregnancy, but depression and pregnancy is really kind of scary. I think we've actually been very casual about that. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that that increases your chances of is preterm delivery. Yeah. You know, and it's like why people are not routinely screening is just beyond me. And yeah. if you add PTSD and depression, in right. one study it increased the rate of preterm birth by four times. Wow. What's scary about that is that is the number one cause of infant mortality worldwide. That's scary mm-hmm. stuff. You know, it's like, you know, when you sort of really wrap your head around that, But one of the things that we know that helps is like if you take DHA, which is omega-3 fatty acid, and we're probably talking bigger doses. The current recommendation is 200 milligrams. I actually think there's evidence to support a higher dosage than that. Mm -hmm. If you look at countries where people eat a lot of fish, Mm -hmm. the amount people have actually in their diet naturally is about 800 to 1,000. Oh, wow. So honestly, I would probably go there. Okay. And also vitamin D deficiency, another big one, you know, yeah. and it's like so many of our mothers have vitamin D deficiency. And what that actually seems to do is exacerbate the effects of um, previous adversity. So mm-hmm. if a mother's already at risk and she's vitamin D deficient, it seems to make it worse. Sure. That makes so that's a place to address something else that helps. Exercise specifically helps. It turns off that stress response and lowers that inflammatory response. How much exercise and what kind? Well, usually when we talk about like using exercise as a treatment for depression, we're talking at least three times a week. You know, like the studies that looked at it that compared exercise to like Zoloft for major depression, mm-hmm. they were doing about five times a week. What was it that about five times a week for some period of time is the equivalent to a low dose of Prozac? Actually, what they were doing was actually, no, it was actually, it was Zoloft and it was a normal dose. Oh, so okay. Low dose. You know, yeah, and it was like exercise was as effective as Zoloft for major depression. This that was that five was times a week. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually. Those studies were done at Duke University Medical Center. It was for older adults. It wasn't a perinatal sample, mm-hmm. but it shows you the powerful mechanism of that. And what it really is, is that exercise is turning off that inflammatory response system. Okay, so I'm thinking of the mom who's listening who knows she's anxious, depressed, stressed, has a trauma, and she's thinking about what she can do, assuming now that her stress response is at least somewhat activated, if not fully. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. But really, this is good because you can do something about this. Yeah, so exercising minimum three times a week for how long? I would, I would say so. If she could get in a half an hour, I think she might find that that is really very helpful. Does this need to be vigorous? Can it be walking? Does it be walking. Okay. That's what actually they were doing in that study at Duke is they were just on a treadmill, you know, and there've been some studies since that have used yoga and some have used strength training. So Mm -hmm. it's different kinds of exercise. There is some actually evidence that like kind of a combination of something like a, you know, 
stretching yoga type thing with like cognitive therapy is actually really helpful. Mm. But, you know, really, I would say kind of anything and start small, you know, put the baby in a pack or in a stroller and just go out and take a walk. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that can actually be really very helpful. So I want to also just mention that I hear a lot of, you know, people recommending, well, just go take a walk, you'll feel better. But that's not what you're necessarily talking about. You're talking about consistent exercise for a period of time. Yeah, if you know, I think you're going to feel better if you take a walk because I think there's stress reduction. But I think especially if, if you're really thinking about it in terms of either you're at risk, or you're currently depressed, you're probably going to need to sort of bump it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be important to get social support for this because, yeah. honestly, you know, I always love it when you've got, you know, sort of, as a lot of people say when I do my obesity lectures about skinny white people coming in and telling them what to do. But, you know, people who are natural exercisers, mm-hmm. you know, sit there lecturing some woman who's not. Right, right. Exercise. I mean, that's just, you know, when you're depressed, that's probably the last thing you feel like doing. Right. So to have some social support to do that, Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, okay, maybe that is too much of a step, but let's start with something easy. Let's start with, you know, taking some omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah. And actually, what I would actually recommend for those is the U.S. Pharmacopeia has ratings. They're a non-industry-based organization that basically governs the nutraceutical industry. Huh. Okay, so I will tell you, I have no financial connection with any of these companies, but two of the brands that they certify as being, you know, like pure and don't have contaminants and all that stuff, but also very inexpensive Kirkland Signature from Costco. What? And, yeah, and Nature Made. What? Those are like affordable and easily accessible. Yes. Huh. Yes. Okay. And that's why I mentioned them. So the website yeah. to look for that is usp.org. So it's the US Pharmacopeia website. And again, like I said, I have no financial connection with either of those companies. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, so that's well, good news. I think, you know, I actually, when I learned that, I stopped taking the, you know, $65 a bottle <laughs> and and started taking Nature Made. <laughs> right. Right. I think I'm going to switch to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, you know, I think course. it's like $13 a bottle at, at Walmart. Okay. Wow. That's fantastic. Okay. So this is all, I mean, for such a complex, I guess, issue, to call it that, there are some real, real easy, low-hanging fruit type of interventions. There definitely are. And see, this is why I think it's important that mothers understand kind of what this process is. Yeah. Because if they understand that inflammation piece, you know, Mm -hmm. that what you're trying to do is you want to try to lower that, then there's different ways you know you can do that. Now, one of the other interesting things that helps lower inflammation is social support. Mm. Because we're social animals. And it's like when we are around other people, it lowers that stress response. And so it actually is specifically anti-inflammatory. Amazing. So, (laughs) yeah, right. So that would be... Anything that you actually feel supported by, I suppose. Absolutely. Not just any old group, but somewhere where you feel heard and understood. The kind of interesting thing about social support is there's a lot of times you go to quote a support group, but it's not very supportive. Right. It's like that, you know, people are competitive and, you know, Mm -hmm. they put you down or you feel like you can't really say anything. So I would say it really goes by your experience of it. Right. So if you don't feel that it's supportive, go someplace else Mm -hmm. because you need to find what is actually going to be supportive. Right. No, absolutely. Do you know of any research on meditation or guided meditation for stress reduction? Oh, yeah. There's actually a lot of research. Where you see a lot of that is actually in the post-traumatic stress literature. Yeah. Uh, And yes, it's super helpful. There's lots of stuff on mindfulness. And uh, especially mindfulness in combination with cognitive therapy, that's like supercharged powerful. 
Yeah. And they're actually showing that it actually changes activation patterns in the brain in a pretty short amount of time, about six weeks. Wow. And you can actually see changes in which parts of the brain are activated. Well, that's interesting because six weeks for your average antidepressant is how long it takes to get the yeah. full effect anyways. Um, yeah. So you could be doing this kind of stuff. I mean, I hear a lot of moms come in. Sometimes medication is necessary and that's right. fine. And then also I have some moms who are kind of like mild to moderate symptoms and they absolutely don't want to take medication. Yep. So these are really great options. Well, and I've got some handouts we just put up on my Proclaris Press website. I've got one on bright light therapy. I've got one on exercise. I've got one on omega-3s called Can Fats Make You Happy? Uh, so it goes <laughs> into that. detail about this, yeah. you know, and it's, you know, got all the references and everything. So okay. you know, those could be some resources if moms kind of want more information. Well, yeah. I mean, your website, everything you do is a wealth of information. And, you know, I will include all of these links so that people can find the information that you're describing. Okay. But yeah, if you go on the Proclaris Press under white papers, you'll see them. I, we just added them. So they're brand new. Oh, that's awesome. Are these downloadable? Oh, uh, yes. They're, they're PDFs and they're all free. Oh, so you can print them out and hand oh, yeah. them out. Absolutely. There, wow. There's several pages. So, you know, they're probably not going to be as easy to hand out, but yes, you can. And we put that right up there, that they're all available for, you know, printing and you help yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, you're giving moms and maybe therapists, people who are listening, a lot of information that maybe they didn't know or understand. And this is, I think, like I said before, so fundamental to really understanding how we can help moms in a deeper way to understand the mechanics of what's happening, what's actually happening physiologically. And this is one part of it, right? Um, or several parts of it. There may be other things at play. I mean, you know, part of the reason, you know, I think I mentioned to you before that I want to talk about this is so that people have this information. And you do a really great job of getting information out through your website and through all the things that you do. And this now is an, another form of that to really teach people what they have the right to know about how their body works. Well, and also too, I think it's important to know this information because I think sometimes people paint a pretty gloomy picture, you know, and especially yeah. for, for people who have experienced trauma, you know, and it's like, I don't see it that way. You know, it's like, we can sit there and look at all the things that we know are negative effects. You know, we know that there's higher rates of disease and stuff like that, but it's kind of like, are you going to just accept that? Or shall we try to do something about it? <laughs> Hey, there you go. <laughs> what an idea. Yeah, because it's like, for me, it's like, I think knowledge is power. And I think the more that people understand kind of this basic mechanism, you know, unfortunately, the psychoneuroimmunology research, that's that whole field that looks at the inflammation response. Mm -hmm. You know, almost every place I go, I ask healthcare providers, you know, how many of you are familiar with this research? And there'll be maybe two hands that go off. Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's partly because the psychoneuroimmunology folks, they're kind of a bunch of nerds. <laughs> one of the truth. They talk to each other, they go to their own conferences, they have their own journals, and they, you know, their work is critical as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Right. But it doesn't seem to get out in the field. Right. And also, you know, even for, I don't know how MDs and medical providers work in their practice. I don't know how much time they have to go search through all this stuff to learn about it. I'm assuming they're required to on some level, but for, for sure. Really. No. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. No. <laughs> um, well, for sure, you know, moms and people who don't have access to this, not everybody can go and read through a paper and distill what they need to understand about 
what is actually happening. So like having this conversation with you where you're putting it in terms that people can understand and take away, it's usable, it's easily accessible. I think this is where we have so much power to give the knowledge, you know, the things that we all learn in these conferences, we can just hand it to the people who actually need it. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. It's, it's super powerful. And to be honest, I think that that's honestly where a lot of the change comes from. Mm. Because, you know, I think if you try to sort of, especially with the medical model, if you try to kind of go in and try to sort of really change that, I think you're just going to get frustrated. I uh -huh. think where, where change comes in those models is from consumers. And yeah. it's like, if we can educate our moms that we work with. Yeah. Uh, and they actually are often the ones that go back. I've seen this work with the breastfeeding world, but it also, it seems to work with the postpartum depression as well. And it's mm -hmm. like, I think if we can educate them and then, then you do find physicians who are interested in this. And sure. what I find is physicians are more interested in if they've been in practice for a while. You know, mm -hmm. I find this with even my trauma stuff. It's like, you know, trying to educate like residents about this is just painful. Mm -hmm. It's painful because it's like, they don't want to know it. You know, they already know everything. But, <laughs> but doctors who have been in practice for a while, they actually realize that they don't necessarily have all the answers to this. Yeah. You know, even like my orthopedic surgeon one time started asking me all these questions because he had had the experience <laughs> of operating on people who never seemed to get better. Mm. You know, so he was looking for answers. So I think that those are the conversations to have. Now, I still think it's worth going in and teaching residents because even sure. if you only reach one, you yeah. can reach thousands of patients. True. True. You know, but it's not the most pleasant thing to do. Right. <laughs> right. No, no. <laughs> I understand. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I guess like there's so many gems in here and takeaways, but I also think that what you're saying and it's something what you just said is that basically if we're not treating the inflammation, it's going to be harder for moms to feel better Absolutely. and it's going to take longer. Yeah. 
Well, and by the way, you know, antidepressants, especially the SSRI class of antidepressants, are anti-inflammatory. Wow. That's actually one of the reasons why they work. I'm just learning this for the first time. Thank you. <laughs> well, and you know, it's interesting because Michael Moss, who's a researcher in the Netherlands, and he's probably one of the big theorists on this. And plus, he's done just amazing research, just tons and tons and tons of studies. Mm-hmm. But one of the things he said is, he said, you know, he wrote an article, I think it was about five or six years ago, but he said, you know, because we've so focused on the monamine neurotransmitters. So we've focused on norepinephrine, we've focused on serotonin. He said, we've missed this inflammation piece. And he said, that's why antidepressants only work about 60 to 70% of the time. Hmm. And he said, because we actually have known, this has been in the literature for a while, that like if you've got people who are not responding to antidepressants, if you add EPA, which is one of the other omega-3 fatty acids, if you add EPA to the regimen, Okay, highly anti-inflammatory. It makes the antidepressant more effective. Whoa, science. Okay. Yeah. Then see, you can actually then start kind of like, you know, spinning that out because like they've started adding Celexa, Mm -hmm. you know, which is one of the COX-2 inhibitors. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of the thing that they tried to make, you know, that was better than ibuprofen, Mm -hmm. you know, because it doesn't affect the gut. So, you know, Celexa is anti-inflammatory. Adding Celexa to an antidepressant does the same thing. Because what's it doing is it's boosting the anti-inflammatory mechanism of that. And he says, because we haven't thought about inflammation, he says, we're only going to be this partially effective. Now, those were still a big step above the previous antidepressants. Okay. But there's still a lot of people that get treated on medication that don't get better. And the prevailing thought right now is that because the inflammation isn't being addressed. Right. That if you can address that piece too, that you're actually going to make that medication more effective. This is amazing. So I want like everybody in the world to hear this. (laughs) How do we get everyone to hear this and understand this? Even if they don't go and read all of the papers, just having this fundamental basic knowledge is so important. So I don't know how we get everybody to hear this, but well, I think we'll just, you know, just ask everybody to share it, you know, to put it out on their social media pages and stuff. I think that's a place to start. Yeah. I have a single article that if you want to kind of like see the sort of underlying theory of this, it's called a new paradigm for depression in new mother and it's available for free online. Mm-hmm. And so it's an open access article. Okay. I'll get the link from you and be sure to put that in the show notes so people can access it. International breastfeeding journal is where it is, but it's open access. So it's absolutely free to download, but that kind of gives the framework that we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Wow. I mean, I feel like we could talk forever or I could listen to you forever because there's so much just critical information in what you're describing. So what I want to do is make sure to get everybody over to you and your information at Proclaris Press and uppityciencechick.com. And you have some other websites. I'll be sure to put those in our show notes so that people who have more questions can look at all of the work that you've done. And, and I thank you, you know, so much. The KathleenKindleTacket.com, that, that's a lot of my articles up there. Okay, so perfect. Article that we did, some of the recent articles that we've done, I would be on that site as well. Oh, perfect. Okay, I'll include all of that. So everyone who's listening, go check this out, share this information. And thank you so much, Kathy, for coming on and sharing this knowledge with us. It's just so, so necessary. And I think another step in providing support and freedom, frankly, to moms from their symptoms. Well, and I think it's very important that moms understand that this is not their fault. This is absolutely not their fault. You know, it's like there's physiological processes, there's systemic processes that are making it really challenging. And the fact that most mothers don't get depressed 
is actually more of a miracle. Right. Yeah. It is amazing to me that some don't, especially being in the world where I mostly see moms who are. I often have to remind myself that some people are doing fine. But this information, I mean, even for moms who are having a hard time, the information you're giving is still useful for moms who are doing okay. This is, yeah. this is preventative information too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really, I think it's empowering to know that there's just some simple things you can do that are really going to make things a lot better for you physically. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us and to share all of this with the listeners. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Whoa, that was amazing, right? So much good information. Please spread the word on this to anyone who could benefit from this information, which I think is essentially everybody. We got the really good condensed highlight version of the things that we should be knowing about stress and about how it affects breastfeeding and how it affects our ability to heal and recover and some things we can do to help prevent. I'm going to have all of the links for you guys in the show notes. Websites to look out for is um, uppitysciencechick.com, kathleenkendalltackett.com, and proclarispress.com. All other links to the things we described in this episode will be in the show notes for you to grab. All right. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time. Thank you for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Mom and Mind. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.